Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a, a very exciting founder, a founder that has done, you know, corporate America for quite a bit before making the leap of faith. So I think that without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest so that he can tell us himself how this journey was. So Osama El Kadi, welcome to the show. Hi Alejandro, thanks a lot for having me over. Thank you. So born and raised in, in Al Cairo, in Egypt. So how was how was life there? Yeah, it was life there was very simple and very uh, nice. Um, uh, Cairo at that time was a great place to, uh, to live and study. I went to one of the elite universities in in Egypt, and I really uh, got very good education. Uh, one of the very few lucky people who can get admitted to this uh, great university and Shams University. Uh, I also uh, did uh, classes also with the University of Maryland College Park. I also enjoyed that during my time, my study time, until I graduated back. And probably you enjoyed as well getting getting away from that crazy traffic that you guys have in Cairo. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It's unbelievably frustrating. I remember when I was there, I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Too much. Yeah, you get used to it for some time. And then I right know. now, guess what? Bay Area traffic reminds me of Cairo again. <laughs> becoming very hard <laughs> going back to the roots going back to yes, the roots yeah wow so so Osama so obviously you know in Ain Shams University you studied computer science so how did you started to develop this love for computers yeah so during university you definitely have to uh, do a lot of essays and projects so i was doing a, a lot of uh, software development during this time and uh, also with my studies abroad in the university of maryland uh, at that time, it was uh, at that time these machines were uh, VAX machines. Uh, we had the chance to work on Macintosh at that time or early version of Windows, uh, but it was a lot of fun, big mainframes and so on. So it's a completely different experience. And you obviously started to travel a little bit around the world. So what happened? Yes. So uh, yeah, after '91, uh, I was in Maryland here, and then '92, I start traveling. I I got to work with a company that uh, has branches in the uh, Middle East and also in India. I really enjoyed some time back early, early India when it was uh, very early stage, no much companies there. Uh, I was working for a, uh, a partner with some microsystem. So I really enjoyed having one of the first early offices for some microsystem back in Bangalore. Uh, 
in uh, back in 1993 and uh, enjoyed a great culture and got to know so many great people there at the time as well. And then all of a sudden, one day, around 94, you receive a call that changed your life. Yeah, for some reason, there was a company, I didn't even know what it is at that time, it was Oracle. And some people called me from there and said, we really need you in a project. Uh, just like for three months, are you willing to uh, to fly all the way here? I said, yeah. And Oracle treated me really well. Uh, very nice furnished apartment, rented car, and all kind of, you know, uh, facilities to allow me to do this project really well. Wow. So I really enjoyed the project. They kept asking me, can we extend another three months? And then can you join us? And um, I found out myself just 20 years at Oracle from there. Wow. And and how did they find you? So they found me through uh, some recruiting company. And uh, the work that they did with the University of Maryland uh, really excited them that uh, Oracle at that time was switching to some microsystem. They wanted to use Sun a lot. So with my Sun experience, um, they, they thought that um, I can be a good candidate for uh, for that job. Wow. I mean, it's a what a what a journey with Oracle because you went from like a small project that was temporary to really making it all the way to the top in terms of like being a senior guy on the applications development team. So, so how was this journey for you? Because twenty years, I mean, it's a lot, and you probably saw like Oracle growing like crazy. Yes. So Oracle had a a big dip back in ninety one. So ninety four was a kind of like Oracle as a startup again. Uh, I was enjoyed that uh, we had a small uh, uh, employee book that people can find uh, uh, telephone numbers. So there was only two people with EL, their last name, El Caddy and Ellison. So a lot of people used to call me instead of calling Larry Ellison. And I kept telling you, no, 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 it's a different number. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that how small was it? Uh, but Oracle, by the way, although it's a big corporate and so on, Oracle, kind of like a, a semi-startup in nature, uh, a lot of people, Oracle allows for some kind of innovation to be within the company, or at least at that time. So I really enjoyed doing a lot of things. I really enjoyed uh, working very hard, working with so many teams. And uh, my initial time at Oracle, I was focusing a lot on the how can we bring Oracle to the international market. Uh, so uh, I really enjoyed also working not just with people at the corporate office, but also with uh, Oracle offices and customers all around the world. Uh, I used to work with a lot of Japanese customers, a lot of Asian customers, uh, European, Middle East. Um, so I had the pleasure to, uh, was very, very lucky to work and understand also how different uh, sales organization can be in different cultures and different companies when you need to do direct uh, sales, when you need to do indirect or dependent partners. So that was very, very good experience that I had. So what did you what did you learn then uh, when it comes to, you were talking about sales, you know, when, it, when we're talking about enterprise, you know, especially enterprise sales, I mean, it, that's quite a beast. So so what, what did you learn about building, you know, those type of teams? Yeah. So what I realized definitely that when it comes to enterprise sales, is a lot about the execution on the ground, the field team. Uh, usually when you have uh, very good leaders, uh, you have very good sales. It's very simple. And uh, you can tell that a country is doing really good, a country is not doing great, but just look at who is leading that sales team or that uh, organization in general. Uh, and also their interest. Sometimes they focus on certain area like database or applications. And you can tell that very well how the output of that looks like. 
uh, people who are really serious about uh, competing, because at that time, even Oracle was very new in many, many regions. And uh, hiring the right salespeople and choosing the right leader, that really worked really good for Oracle. So at the time we did the right choice, it worked really well. At the time we didn't make the right choice, it never worked. And sometimes you miss the whole market because you didn't make the choice of the right leader. And that's it. Got it. So when you're choosing people, I mean, what did you learn about choosing the right people? What does that look like? Choosing the right people, it goes down into two things. People have the skills and people have the experience. Uh, because when you, for example, when I get into, say, a country like, say, Korea, you really need to understand people who've been selling in Korea before. You cannot just get somebody from Europe and say, I want you to start a team there. Uh, so people who understand the culture, understand the dynamics of the market, and also people who have connections, worked with a lot of smart people before, so they can build a team very quickly, and they can hit the ground very quickly uh, to be able to give you results right away. So having people who have the experience, uh, smart, been successful before, uh, they have people who like to work for them, and they are able to get a good group of people together to start. That's a key uh, for whom to choose as a leader in, in any area that you want to uh, for them to help you. And obviously, you know, you learned a lot about business and you learned a lot about engineering. So what are your biggest takeaways on engineering and then also on business out of your experience with Oracle? So when it comes to engineering, uh, also, what I, I was very lucky to work with very, very smart people. And uh, about two years from there, I also started to build my own team. I was promoted to be a manager. And one thing I learned about the developer is, and that's my advice to everybody, I will say that if you treat any company you work for as your company, you will do great. Uh, because it makes a big difference if you think yourself as an employee or you think yourself as I'm an owner of this company. I really work for it as it's own my company. It's my own company. And this is where everybody realizes that you are different. And everybody realizes that they can depend on you to do more. So I was so lucky at Oracle. I, I was promoted from a very, very junior engineer to be a manager in two years, being a director in another two years, which was like almost unheard of. Uh, only four years at Oracle, I was actually a director. And I had a big team at that time, about 50 engineers. So, and I always give it to one thing. You work hard, not just working hard, you work as this is my company. I am here to make a difference. I'm here to take this company to the next level. And everybody around you realize that you are different and they depend on you to take a leadership position. So even my first year at Oracle, whenever I, I saw a problem or I saw something that needs to be fixed, I was not hesitating even to send email to Larry Allison himself at that time. And a lot of people say, you are crazy. Why you do that? And he was actually very open to take my ideas and say, yes, we should do that. So, uh, and that's what I, I learned a lot, by the way, also from Larry himself. Uh, he is very smart and he's very technical and he knows how to do marketing very well. And that's how he built a company like Oracle. So I think that to, to that sense, uh, Osama, I mean, Larry Ellison, you know, like one of the uh, most iconic entrepreneurs of our generation. So I guess, uh, uh, I guess what what would you say you know are like the um, the key characteristics or or what do you think you know like made Larry Ellison you know really become who he has become and then also 
create the incredible company that he has created? What what did you see, you know, by being part of that and perhaps, you know, like some of the stuff that you said, you know what, this is all incredible things that I'm going to really learn and to keep in mind so that, you know, when I, you know, build my own business, I'm really taking this with me. So Larry had few things that was, he was very, very uh, unique about. Number one, uh, he can understand where the market is going, how the technology is shaping. And he can always position himself as a leader in this area. He can market really well. He can position very well. And then he can execute technically after that. A lot of companies, they just keep building things without talking about it. And then they think after five years, when they start talking about it, it will pay off. You really have to run marketing and sales as long as your development, even from day one. And that's a lesson I learned a lot from Larry. Uh, he is always somebody who can speak about something that will be done in many years. And he can convince you that it's coming, like it's going to be here anytime soon. And that makes him ahead of even people building something in parallel with him. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, on the other hand, he's not just smart. Uh, when it comes to marketing and sales, he's very smart technically. He's always very deep. He's not like I'm the CEO and I have no idea what's going on. You always can dig deep all the way down to every aspect of the business and every technology. And he can get really deep into understanding exactly what it is. And he doesn't hesitate to let people go even in a meeting that they are not performing well. Uh, but he's also very patient to give people a chance to succeed or not succeed. So he doesn't take, if he starts like hiring somebody and giving somebody a responsibility, he gives them time uh, until <clears throat> they prove yes or no. Uh, but if they prove no, then he let them go without, without any, uh, any hesitation at the same time. Got it. And do you think that, that um, perhaps that, that ability or that skill to understand not where the market is, but perhaps where the market is going. Do you think that's something that you can exactly. develop over time as an entrepreneur, or do you think that's just a, something that you're born with? I think any entrepreneur had to have that kind of ability. They need to understand how the future looks like. If people predict how the future looks like or how things are shaping, they are in a much, much better position because if you position yourself to where the market is going or where things are going, then you'll be able to win that future. And being entrepreneur is about winning the future. It is not a skill that you can learn. It's something that you, yeah, if you say you can born with, yes. Some people have that ability. Some people don't have that ability. It's like people, how they got in playing soccer or playing basketball. Uh, even if you need to train a lot and you need to practice a lot. But some people are skilled with that. And I think all entrepreneurs all around the world they are really good when it comes to the understand where the future is coming and they are able to jump on that future much earlier than others and execute, not just start it, execute as well. Got it. And obviously here, eh, Osama, you were for 20 years working in one of the most incredible companies to work for. I mean, now they have like close to 200,000 employees. So, I mean, it's, it's a big, big business. Uh, but in your case, all of a sudden, you decide to to say no to everything and to start your own thing within Corta. I want to know how did the did did you came up with the concept? When did it become like realistic and it really became something tangible that you knew you had to go after? And uh, and and how did you bring it to life? Tell us about that process. So, 
I've been even with an Oracle starting new ideas and starting kind of like new companies or running a new startups within the company itself. But at a certain point, I realized that I'm not able to do my next set of innovations being part of a big company. I really needed to start that outside because the idea we were working on is a kind of like a, a whole re-innovation of how things are done when it comes to data, accessing data, processing data. So I saw a lot of challenges within the company itself that produces the best databases in the world. How big enterprise can access data in real time and being able to access that information whenever they need it. So they don't have to wait for many weeks to get a number or to get any information. And this is where I decided that we need, I really need to start something. Like it's, it's about time that we can change the world. Uh, because when you are in a start, at startup, now you can do things much, much faster than this. Uh, you don't have to convince so many people around you. Uh, you need to convince few customers and start building with them. So I actually resigned from Oracle. I started in Corta with the other guys with zero funding without any money at all. And we said, we're going to just start and see how it wow. goes. Very quickly, yeah, we were able to raise about a million dollars. And very quickly, uh, here, Osama, what was going, what, what the hell was going through your mind that day when you gave the notice and you were walking you know, out the office? Yeah, it wasn't easy, of course. <laughs> uh, after 20 years going to the same place, uh, oh my God. how can you decide that uh, you're just going to be working on your own without any funding, without any salary. And not only that, you are taking also responsibility for the people you convinced yeah. to go to resign with you and also their families are uh, in, uh, in a tough position. Yeah. I, I have to say my wife was very, very supportive. That was the thing that I was really worried about. And she was the one pushing me and saying, no, go ahead, uh, go for it. It's okay. Uh, anything can happen. And she just gave me one thing. Oracle can lay you off today. It's the same thing. Uh, but at least you are making the decision on your own and uh, you will do great. So okay. she was actually a very supportive person that made me made the, make the decision at that point. Well, yeah. that's obviously critical. So shout out to your wife, Osama, yes. for really allowing you to, to create something amazing here. So what was that process of convincing you know, the, the critical components of the team? You know, what, what did that look like and, and who were those? So I had definitely a few meetings with those guys explaining to them about the idea. And everybody at that time told me uh, it's impossible to be done. That was Hisham and uh, Klaus and Matthew. Uh, we, but maybe because of my record of success at Oracle, they thought that maybe this guy might do something, but we think what he's saying is completely either not realistic or it's just a dream and uh, anybody could have said that uh, but let's see how it goes uh, I knew uh, because I worked with a lot of people at Oracle I knew uh, who I need to help me who can complement my experience and who I need exactly so I had Hisham who has a domain experience in building BI applications I had Klaus at that time who has a very good experience in building engines. And I had Matthew who is very good with marketing and sales and so on. So assembling that team together, <clears throat> getting everybody uh, to believe in a dream, that's the most important thing. Uh, you really need to sell the dream. You really need to sell to everybody at that time 
how this company will look like in five years and 10 years from now and how we're going to change the whole world. And one, one important thing there, Osama, is that as an entrepreneur, you know, especially you were, you were talking here about how you were sharing your idea with others to really join you in the, in the journey. But one of the, one of the biggest challenges is that as an entrepreneur, you have the canvas with those colors that you have in your own mind. So how did you go about like really grabbing that, that, picture that you really had vivid and clear in your own mind to be able to, to take it out of your brain and put it out there to the world so that so that others would get really influenced and, and excited and enrolled by it like like what what is that process how, how do you go about doing that I'll tell you so the first day we, we started the company uh, I took the team and I visited some of the largest companies in the world uh, from some previous uh, connections. So when you take uh, your team and you visit a big, big company and you start even talking to the, to the people in the business about your idea and you get them excited, now your team gets also much, much more excited because you are validating the idea more and more to them. So that's what I did. I, I, I took the team and maybe we visited five or ten companies and we got all of them excited to say, yes, that looks amazing. But if you're able, able to do that or show us a demo, come back. That's exactly what we did. After six months, we were able actually to close our first deal by just showing a prototype to a company at that time uh, was called Avago. It's uh, our first company. And that company, who decided on using us four years ago or five years ago, uh, went from being $11 billion company to $123 billion company now, wow. uh, depending on us 100% in being able to streamline the business, being able to understand everything in real time, and being able to acquire more and more companies. They grow much, much faster than, than anybody we can imagine. And uh, we actually got funded by our customers. We didn't get any VC funding in the beginning. We got some friends and family funding, and then we started getting customers to pay us money. We got more than a million dollars, actually, from customers who invented, invested with us and say, I know you are not ready. I know it's a prototype, but we need this. We need it in the future. Even if we're going to lose that money, it doesn't matter. Uh, we will just buy software from you today to use it next year. But we want to work very closely with you. So if, when, when you are dealing with a, when you are meeting with a company, you're showing them a prototype and they say, here's a million dollars. I want you to go and build it. That's even the best money you can get, even from other than VCs. Yeah. Because now... You are not just getting money, you are getting people to commit to put their resources to also work with you very closely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in this case, for you guys, Osama, what ended up being the business model? So the business model at that time, we realized that it's, it's a big, it's a, about enterprise sales. It's, um, it's going uh, or selling to big companies, the largest in the world. Uh, who can really benefit from our uh, software and who can really benefit from uh, being able to stay competitive all the time. Uh, one thing I realized about successful companies, they don't settle for what's there, what's here today. They're always looking for what's in the future because they want to always stay competitive. They don't want to copy others doing something. They want to do something that nobody else has. So they can always be competitively advantaged with technology or with edge technology. So many people, sometimes they start with small companies and then say, no, 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 I don't want to go to big companies now. 
But there are big companies, the most successful, are the most looking for the latest innovation and latest technology. Uh, and that's how it was. It was enterprise sales. Uh, it was working closely with customers. It's about closing even at that time, early enough, big deals. Uh, because you are saving these companies or you're allowing them to make hundreds of millions of dollars with your technology. So you're able to charge accordingly. And then you're able to also build a team who can continue to support uh, those customers. So then I guess uh, as you were obviously doing these sales, because typically enterprise takes a bit more time, uh, how, what, what, what have you learned about sales? So what I learned about sales is <clears throat> there are two aspects of sales, the early sales and the later stage. The early sales is all about trust. You need to first talk to people that you had some kind of trust before or you hire people that others trust uh, because you are no name and nobody can depend on you. You don't have any history. So now you have to depend on yourself or your team. Uh, they cannot depend on the company. There is no name for the company yet. So having people that did startups before that took a cold, what I call cold sales. They were able to start from zero to something like zero to 10 million, 10 million to 50 million, 50 million to 100 million. Every stage needs different set of people who can take you through that journey and who can help you with that. So the first $10 million, you really need to depend on yourself or need to depend on people that you hire that other customers can trust. And this is where you are doing that while you are building the use cases, while you are building your marketing machine, uh, while you are getting a good name. And then after that, you start hiring sales team and you start having a process uh, to get the stage after that and the stage after that. Uh, so you cannot get, for example, like a sales leader from a big company and you say, I want you to work with me on a startup. That will not work out. They already used to big marketing machine, they already know that, used to that, people know their company. Uh, here is completely different. And you want to also get people who've been successful before. They worked on startup companies that have been successful, so when they go again to the same customers, they sold them before, those customers also like what they did. So it's very, very important to hire people from previously successful startup that they did exactly the same phase that you are in. And how do you how do you go about how do you go about convincing those, say Osama? Because I mean those, you know, have all the benefits, you know, they have now the brand that they can leverage to do more closings in sales. So obviously when, when you're talking about an earlier player, you know, it's it's more of an uphill battle. And then there's also some sacrifices that they need to do to to join you. So I guess how do you convince them? That's true. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. So that's why I'm saying the first three to five customers, you do it on your own. And when you have these success stories, then you can bring people and say, you see what I did on my own? You can, with your experience, you can do that much better than me. So that's number one. Number two, there are people, by the way, who always like to work with startup companies from zero to 10 or zero to 25. And those people, even in their companies, when they cross that threshold, you want to go back to smaller companies. So you are always looking for those people who really enjoy working on a small room, uh, taking something from the ground all the way up. And uh, those those people, convincing them is even easy. They are looking for you as much as you are also looking for them. And they want to convince you with their work history as much as you are convincing them as well. And those are the kind of people that you need at that stage. 
Very cool. And obviously, in your case, you know, you were saying that you guys were, were growing this nicely, you know, with the sales that you were doing. Uh, and you've also onboarded Kleiner Perkins and, and Google Ventures. I mean, really top tier uh, people that have that has invested in the business. Uh, why did you guys decide to to raise money? So, funny story. We don't. We didn't go to the VCs. They came to us. Uh, when you start making some progress, uh, number one. Also, another advice I really would like to give to people is, you really need to surround yourself with very good advisors. Uh, there are people who can really help you a lot. You cannot hire them, but you can convince them to be your advisors. And those people can help you a lot with so many things, with advice about what you do today, advice about what is the next step, advice about VCs that you need to work with and or not work with. So having that group of advisors, and we were so lucky uh, to build that team. And building that team was my first priority at that time. So you get people who were very, very successful in selling their companies. You get people who are very, very successful in connectivity connections with VCs or understand how that market looks like. You get people who can help you with marketing. You get people who can help you with sales. So you think about them like a board, but you don't have a board yet. So you're assembling a virtual board. And you're assembling people that you can go to and ask them questions. So when it comes at the right time, uh, Google Venture, by the way, we were introduced to them. Uh, they tried to do something with us early enough, but we said we don't need money now. And then they came back to say, I think you guys like have very, very good names on your portfolio now as companies. Why don't we see? Having VC money is important because you want to build trust with big companies. If you want to go to a big company and you say, I have Google with me, I have Kleiner with me, I have Microsoft with me, you are building a much better trust with these companies. So you would, the most important thing about the VCs are the trusts, the name from the VC. They have the money to support you, and they can also help you with other aspects, with marketing, with sales, with their machine as well. So we waited like two, three years before we start even raising any money from VCs. Uh, it was about three years. Wow, that's amazing. And at that time, yeah, at that time, we were actually generating good amount of money. Like we we were running a very lean, uh, and that's something also you have to learn a lot, is how can you manage the money as much yeah. as you can. Uh, you always want to make sure that you have enough money to run for between six months to one year. You don't want to be running in cash less than that, uh, even in the early stage. Even in the very, very early stage, you need to always have six months of runway in the bank. Uh, because if the company runs out of cash, it will be a really big problem. And I mean, obviously, you guys have been killing it. I mean, I recently read that I believe the the, the revenue year over year, um, you know, was, I think it was like a growth of 284%. Is that right? It, yes, that's oh true. Oh, my God. I mean, the, with that type of growth, how do you grow yourself as a leader too? Osama. You grow yourself as a leader by whom the people that you surround yourself with. Uh, I always learn from people around me. And I always believe that uh, you need to always to be talking to people. You open always to learn from others. And, and that's how you grow. Uh, you grow by experience. And you grow from the experience of other people. Always surround yourself with successful people, with entrepreneurs who have been successful before. Because they can always give you the right advice at the right time. And as I told you, also with your advisors, uh, with your board members, 
with the team members that you hire, this is how you grow as a leader. Yeah, I mean, it's like that. Uh, I had someone tell me the other day that when you are uh, joining a table with four uh, A-plus people, you know, most likely you're going to be the fifth A-plus. And when you join a table with B-minus B and, and average uh, people, you're going to be the next <laughs> average individual. So uh, That's true. Yeah, really. You, not, o not only you, but everybody under you, you always need to hire people who can replace your job. Yeah. Who can actually do the job better than you. That's the secret of success. When you have those people around you, they elevate you. They make you, you know, the next level person. And you can depend on them to do that job and focus on something else. You focus on what needs to be done other than that job. Absolutely. And and when you're growing at that pace, um, you know, I'm just like uh, impressed. I mean, 284% year over year growth. I mean, when you're growing at that rate, what, what, are, what are some of the challenges? Because I mean, sometimes, you know, like you can grow so fast that you actually die out of being so successful. So how do you How do you manage that and what are some of the typical challenges, you know, when you're when we're talking about this level of scale and this level of, of growth? Yes. So there are two things that are very, very important. As much as you are growing your, your customers, you also want to make your current customers happy. And that has to be your number one priority, even before adding more customers. And you are almost like 100% zero churn. Like every customer of us always renewed us. They really... Because we always have a customer-first uh, focus. Existing customers come before anything else, even come before new deals, come before uh, new sales. And when you really focus on your current customers, they help you get new customers, naturally. They are your reference. You are supporting you, all of that stuff. So that's number one, to make sure that you always your base is very, very solid. You're not losing customers. And then number two, your employees are very, very important. Uh, you are hiring a lot of employees, and but you always have to take care of your employees. Existing ones, people who started the journey with you, you always want to make sure that they are treated really well. And everybody in the company is treated as if the company is just two, three people. Uh, make it sure that you are building the company with people who have the same culture, the same belief, the same attitude. Uh, you want people to work together. You don't want people who are very smart and cannot work with others. You don't want people who can spoil the company. If you spot anything like that or you made a mistake about hiring somebody who's not the right person, you really have to get rid of them very quick. Not even get rid of them, like manage them out. Or ask them or explain to them why it's not working out. And they understand. Uh, keeping a very healthy environment and keeping very happy customers are the two most important things. Uh, that you need to handle very well in order for you to handle the growth as much as you want. I think we tripled our company in one year uh, from number of uh, resources at the end. Hiring all those people and making sure that, that those teams uh, can work together was always a priority for us. So how many employees do you guys have today? So we have more than 300 people now. Wow. I mean, I see that on places like LinkedIn. I think that you guys have grown by over 100% in the last uh, year. So, I mean, it's uh, really incredible. So, so one of the things here that comes to mind is, I mean, you were talking about culture. You were talking about, like, people that they need to work with each other. You know, that, they, that obviously that you're making sure that, that that culture stays intact, that you have people that are high performers. So, I guess, uh, how do you go about 
because listening is key, right? I mean, really listening to your people. So how do you go from, let's say, listening to, to transitioning into taking action? What does that look like? So I have a model of managed by working around. I always go around and I always talk to people about anything. Uh, I always enjoy the kitchen talks. Uh, I have a special thing called Ask Osama at Encoder.com that people can send me an email at any time, just asking questions. And uh, we address these questions on a weekly basis. Uh, I want to make sure that anybody has any question or any suggestion or any idea, they can just call the phone and call my, me directly. I am more than I never say no to any one of my team calling me or sending me a text message or saying, Osama, I want to talk to you. Because you only build innovation with people you hire. You you don't have all the innovation in the world. Every person that comes to the to the team always have good ideas, and you need to listen to that. And now you need to orchestrate that. How can you manage all of that innovation, and how can you do things on the stages that matches the company direction? Uh, but there are people who always have great ideas that we always listen to, uh, and. Building a, a, a management hierarchy, you really need to avoid these many layers. You want to make a management hierarchy maximum three in a case of a startup company like that. So almost everybody is kind of one team. It's not like I have a manager that I need to talk to another manager that I need to talk to another manager. The management here is to control or, or manage priority of jobs, but anyone can talk to anybody at any time. And they can ask questions, they can discuss ideas. I always tell the team, feel it's a startup company. Feel like as if we are all in one room. How are you going to be thinking about that? I also encourage people to talk in person. Don't send emails. Talk. Call somebody on the phone and talk to them and discuss ideas or ask questions. Because sometimes the emails back and forth and back and forth will, will take long time or will, will, will create this um, confusion, misunderstanding. But when people talk to each other, that's great. Also, visiting each other. We we are now all over the place. We have offices all around the U.S. We have offices in 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 London. We have Middle East. We have India. Uh, we want to also start having APEC. We have customers in Japan as well. So making sure that all these people can always visit each other. And I personally visit these offices myself because I want to listen to every person. I want to listen to everyone. So. I try every three months. I am visiting every office and I'm almost talking to every person, especially new people. I always try at least new people and talk to them one by one. And I understand their background, where they came from, um, their personal life. I really enjoy that. And that's how you build that kind of relationship to allow them to come to you and talk to you. Again. That's amazing. So I guess, uh, you know, it, it, it has been quite a journey, you know, for you with the business now. I mean, you've been at it for about six years or so. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that this this experience as an entrepreneur has obviously been very far from being a straight line. So I guess as you're looking back now, um, Osama, and, and, and you take a look at what you have achieved, which is really remarkable, I'm sure that there were perhaps some moments that were not as easy and some moments that, you know, perhaps uh, taught you, you know, quite a few lessons. So I guess out of those perhaps dark moments, what would you say, you know, perhaps has been the toughest uh, time for you during this journey and perhaps that time where you where you got your biggest lesson so far? So the toughest lessons uh, 
when you're running a company anyway. I, I want to tell you just the, the nice moments and the dark moments can happen almost every day. Uh, every day you have challenges and every day you also have great things. Uh, you just need to keep, that's what I learned. You always need to keep hope and just work hard. Uh, even if you are in the darkest moment, even if you think that it's done and there is no way to take this company forward, just keep the hope and, and move forward. Uh, I remember at the time we were running out of cash, almost nothing. Uh, we cannot even pay employees uh, this month's salary. And all of a sudden, a week later, we had $10 million in the bank. Uh, so, and I always tell my team, just don't worry. Let's focus on the right thing to do. And the good thing will happen. Uh, you work hard and it pays off. Uh, you will never know. And how do you go... You know, that's an interesting story there, uh, Osama. So, for example, like when, when you're at that point where you're like, let's say, like very close to like running out of money, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a roller coaster of emotions. And I think that your mind, you know, can start to play tricks on you and that can lead to making really poorly, you know, poor decisions. How do you quiet those voices to keep pushing forward? So this is where you have the people around you at the company, you know, are very important. Who are they? Are these the people who are making you panicking or are these people who are supporting you and say, we're going to make it? So that's why you always need positive people around you. That's very, very important uh, because you cannot do that on your own. And definitely your family needs to support you as well. But this is what I always tell the team. It's a great, even what you achieved so far. See how many customers we have, so much technology we did. We have to be proud of ourselves. Even if things doesn't go well from today, <clears throat> we always have to be proud of what we did. And that's what keeps us moving forward and keep it going. Um, and then you learn also how can you make sure that you always have like two years of, of cash in your bank and, and uh, how can you always be, not, not in this fundraising mode, but you always making sure that you are having a very sustainable business. It's business. It has to be good margin for profit. You have to focus on growth. Uh, you're not just building business by selling zero margin products. Because I have seen that happens and people grow very fast and they collapse very fast. You always want to make sure that you are building a business like a big company. Uh, the only thing here is the focus is growth, is not profitability. But margins has to be there. So when, when the company grow, when, when you are at a certain stage, you're not rebuilding everything from scratch. You have to build the foundation for multi-billion dollar company from day one. And you really need to understand that building a business is a business. Everything here is about, it's a business. It has to make money at the end of the day. And that's why everybody's here. We're building something great. We're making innovation. We're changing the world. But this has to be a real business. Uh, like the largest business. Imagine it's your own money and you have to keep running here. So you're mentioning you're mentioning there are some something interesting. So working on changing the world, what does the world look like when Incorta has changed it completely? So I tell you, <clears throat> I will tell you this. I walked into one of the large companies in the world and I told them you have so much money cash in the bank. Your CEO, if they launch a product, say, last week, how long it takes them, how many of these products they sold in one city, in certain cities, say, San Francisco, last week? 
He said it takes two weeks. Within court time, it takes one second. That's how we make companies very successful, what we call real-time enterprise. When companies get a question or answer to a question within a few minutes, even one hour, makes huge difference than they get that in a week or two weeks. And this is where I see a company signing with us every day because they really realize that you cannot wait that much time when it comes to your business to make a decision, especially if you are running a big ship and there are so many variables and so many numbers there. Business who are running in real-time enterprise will continue to succeed. Customers who are not adapting a real-time strategy or a real-time enterprise strategy as Touchline, our partner at Kleiner, says, in 10 years, these companies will not exist. And that's why even it was amazing the kind of logos that signed with Encorta as their first first early customers. They told us, we keep, we've been looking for something like you for many years. We've been looking for this. And we know that that will change the way we do business. And that's why some companies paying us multi-million dollar a year. And they are really just continue to do that. Even a small company like us. But they say every time we go there, they show us more and more use cases that they never were able to do that before. And that's what we really enjoy. When we see impact, one of the largest, uh, say, retail business or food retail, they say, we saved 40% on food waste after implementing in quarter. 25 days after implementing in quarter, we were able to save 40% of food waste. Or another company say, we were able to save 50% of food waste. We were able to do this. Every time we see companies say, this is the first time we're able to do that. That's how Encorta is making a bit of a difference. When you are able to understand everything about your business in real time, this second, this moment, that's how you change the whole world. That's amazing. I love it. Very, very profound. Very profound, Osama. So, so obviously now, you know, like if you had that opportunity, you know, this is a question that I typically ask the guests that come on the show. I mean, it's been quite a journey for you. Uh, and obviously, you know, like if you had that moment, you know, maybe you were able to go back in time. And obviously this is, this is impossible. But if you had the moment to speak with that Osama, that was perhaps about to give, your, to give the notice no, at Oracle and, and relaunch the business. Knowing what you know now, what would be that piece, that one piece of business advice that you would give to the younger Osama and why? So the most important advice is surround yourself with people who've been successful before doing the same thing that you are trying to do. You will avoid so many mistakes and you will be much more successful much faster. That's the most important thing. It's all about people around you. I love it. You cannot, it, it, it's nothing about how much you can read, how much you can, uh, you are smart, I can do that by myself. It doesn't work this way. You always need to surround yourself with people around you and you always want to share, you know, the wealth with everybody. Try to, build something really big and have a very small share of the pie and so thinking that you know i can i can just have the whole pie for myself and i want i can do it only by myself uh the more successful people surrounding you uh the much faster return on uh that you will get at that absolutely you know better to have a you know one percent of much a billion bigger. than a hundred percent of nothing 
So exactly. I totally get that. So Osama, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. I always love to connect with people. I always love to have lunch with them. Uh, we actually have our doors are open for any entrepreneur who would like to start their company. They can come and share the space with us and the kitchen and the internet and everything. We don't ask them to pay anything. We enjoy having smart people around us. And our doors are open to any entrepreneurial companies. Any people who would like to start a company, they can come and share it with us here. And uh, we love to have smart people around us. That's amazing. That's amazing. Way, way to pay it forward, Osama. So uh, amazing. So thank you so much, Osama, for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you. Thanks, Alejandro. And thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.